1: at participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends ten thirty one seventeen.
2: You are locked on Mavericks, your daily podcast on the Dallas Mavericks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.
1: Alright, welcome into Locked On Mavericks for October 3rd. It is a Monday. I'm Mike Marshall. I'm one of your hosts. You can find me on the internet at Machine Sports if you play that kind of game. Uh, the man on the other end of the phone line is Jacob Kemp of Sports Radio 1310 the ticket. You can follow him at not Jack Kemp if you're interested in that kind of stuff. Today's the third. It's Monday, and that means the preseason home opener for the Dallas Mavericks against the Charlotte Hornets. This one is for all the marbles, folks. Um, <laughs> we're going to have a uh, a little Hornets preview for you at the end of this episode, just to get you kind of uh, comfortable with what those dudes are doing. Uh, a rising team, a uh, an interesting set of talent out there in Charlotte, and Doug Branson of Locked on Hornets is going to give you about two, three minutes on what the hell's going on with them. Saturday night was the actual... Uh, preseason opener as uh, the Mavericks traveled down to Louisiana and played the New Orleans Pelicans, not the Hornets. Uh, They basically didn't play anybody. The only real starter that got any minutes was Harrison Barnes, and I think he only played the first half. Justin Anderson looked good. Uh, Seth Curry looked good, but they didn't play anybody, and they shouldn't. Um, 116-102 loss in the preseason as they have lost their last, like, 35 straight preseason games because they don't care. But there you go. Preseason's underway. Real basketball's happening. I don't know if the game tonight's on TV, but you can probably figure that out with a simple Google search, so do that. Uh, We might talk a little bit about it tomorrow if we actually get to see any of it. But uh, what we're going to do today for you is uh, do some histrionics. Look over the last five years and the uh, team-building efforts of the Dallas Mavericks starting after the championship year, which gives us a nice round five years to kind of dig into. And uh, give you our ideas of what they did, what they should have done, um, why the approach has gotten us to this exact point. But before that, let's say hello to Jake Kemp. How are you, friend? What up, what up, what up? You got shirt on? <clears throat> uh, It's Monday, yeah. You, the shirt doesn't peel off until Thursday,
2: maybe Friday. But yeah, Monday, Monday, uh, we're, our nips are covered.
1: <laughs> a lot of people asking. A lot of yeah, people well, asking I mean, on these streets. the
2: main point of intrigue in the show so far. And just know that <laughs> when you hear it on Friday, it's off, but not today.
1: Sometimes on Thursday, if you're just really really ready for that weekend. That's right. I just can't wait for this weekend. That's right. Um, All right, so let's start. um, So the Mavericks won the championship in 2011, the greatest month of our uh, probably sports lives. Um, We thought we were going to live forever as the – As they slay the Miami Heat, they slay the Oklahoma City Thunder, they destroy the Lakers, and they uh, come back on the Portland Trailblazers. And it was all magical. And I think around about that time, the Rangers were actually getting good, so I was certain I was living forever. Mm -hmm. Um, But then they head into that offseason, and there is an obvious um, elephant in the room, uh, and that would be Tyson Chandler. Um, He was with the Mavericks for one season, uh, all because of the, uh, what, Physical that he took with the Thunder that got like shot back, That's and right. he had to stay a Bobcat <laughs> um, at that time. And then the Mavs pulled a trade for him, and he was there one one year and somehow became everyone's favorite Dallas Maverick in about uh, four months' time. I mean, he was awesome. He was really stinking good. But then they uh, they make the decision to let Tyson Chandler walk um, after the championship season. So you go into the eleven twelve season. Uh, with Brendan Haywood as your starting center, which is something I either uh, just scrubbed from my memory because I didn't want it, <laughs> or or he just didn't have that big of an impact that I just didn't remember it. But the thing you probably will remember about the 11-12 season is uh, Lamar Odom. The Mavericks traded a first-round pick to the Lakers, uh, taking their dirty trash and... Uh, Putting it on their roster as a key cog of this thing and Lamar Odom and depending a lot on him. And this is the strike season, so there is some uh, chicanery involved. But uh, the Lamar Odom thing was ridiculous. Not having a little bit of background on him and him just falling apart, man. Like, that whole thing was the most bizarre, um, I guess, storyline that I've seen from a professional athlete, like in this area. I mean, Josh Hamilton's pretty stinking weird, but it, like, wasn't here. Yeah, um, Lamar Odom was, dude, it was, it was Michael Jackson off the wall. Like, I don't know what was yeah, going on. and the
2: weird thing is is that I remember at the time, it was not one of these things that there was a lot of split opinion on. I mean, just about everybody reacted negatively to that move. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> it wasn't all that hard to see. Um, he had already kind of started living the reality TV life. Mm -hmm. I think that anybody who knew anything about the NBA, uh, or at least like the personalities involved in the NBA, knew that he was a beloved figure in the NBA, but that he was also a little bit unstable, that he had 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 a a life even up to that point that involved a lot of different dealings with personal tragedy and with, you know, sometimes he was maybe off the reservation a little bit and he didn't want to come here. I mean, he really only wanted to play in L.A., And he only wanted to play for the Lakers or the Clippers. And then I guess, you know, he had a decent run with the Heat. But he wanted to be in L.A. Um, He was pissed that he got traded. He didn't want to be here. He didn't want to be on this team. So it really wasn't all that hard to figure out that that was not the play. Um, And I was particularly frustrated in it because I have built almost, I don't know, a huge portion, whatever percent you want to say, of my, uh, my sports castle on the idea that, Really, for the long term, letting Tyson Chandler go that year was the right move. Now, Mm -hmm. several of the things that followed from there were so inconsistent with the root decision to let him go that it kind of renders it null. And I think that started with bringing in a guy like Odom. So to me, it was just destined to fail from the start. And it almost made what I think was a pretty prudent move in letting Tyson go, at at least for four for 58 yeah I think that's a that's always an interesting part of this to me that gets me pretty fired up is uh the guy was here for one year now granted he was a superhero when he was here but he was here for one year and people act like he was gonna take like a massive hometown discount to stay here uh yeah. that is a fantasy because Tyson Chandler came into the league whenever he was like eighteen and you don't come into the NBA when you're nineteen eighteen years old as a big man and 2008, 2009, you only played 45 games. In 2009, 2010, you only played 51 games. You only started 27. So at that point, you're going into your age 29 season after you win a title in Dallas, coming off of a freaking career year, and you're going to tell me that you're going to leave a dollar on the table. No. No chance. If the Mavericks wanted Tyson Chandler, they would have had to pay him the exact same amount that the Knicks did. Maybe even more. I don't know. I mean, it was going to New York. Yeah. Uh, so you have to look at it as what we, we, have, what we have paid him for for 58? And, you know, I've always contended that that team, although number one in our hearts, there's no chance they would have been favorites to repeat had they brought him back. And then you would have been in a situation. If you remember, Dirk was still the second highest paid player in the league behind Kobe. You would have had between Sean Marion, Dirk and Chandler, like the third highest paid big three in the NBA coming off the title defense here. Mm -hmm. I just don't really know that you had the young talent around those guys to sustain that in any sort of reasonable way.
1: Yeah. I mean, the only uh, guys that were, I guess on the, uh, the uptick on that roster were what Roddy B, Dominic Jones, um, Jet was on the tail end. Brandon Wright was, you know, giving you something, but, uh, whenever Rick would let him play. He's a role think, player. Yeah, and I think a lot of what went wrong with Lamar Odom might have been Rick, like quite honestly. Uh, he might have learned, learned a couple uh, you know, coaching tactics that um, he didn't know back then. Um, and they weren't wrong in letting Tyson Chandler go. I think that's an important thing to say and for people to understand. Where they messed up is assuming that cap space is a reason a player is gonna come somewhere. Um and not understanding that all these dudes just want to play with each other. Uh and what they've done afterwards, like you can you can make a smart move and follow it up with four dumb moves, and it doesn't matter anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like like at some point you are um you are what your actions are, and that's a team that doesn't develop talent um outside of, you know, what two guys, Dirk and Devin Harris long term. And I just feel like uh it's such a weird situation we got put in with them telling us that they understood the CBA better than everyone else, uh, swearing that they're the smartest person in the room that read the, uh, the fine print, but in the end, being, being right about it, but making such poor moves uh, subsequently that it didn't matter. Yeah. Um, I agree. Something, something smart they did that, uh, that off season leading into 11, 12 was signed Vince Carter and, uh, Vince Carter was great when he was here. Like, I have zero problem with uh, what Vince Carter did. Like, he was a totally different dude than what I'd heard of. Um, They got him cheaper than they should have because of uh, they promised him a a dollar figure, and then they ended up re-signing everybody, and he was standing there basically with his hands open, like, you said I'd get this, but this is all you have left. And he was never really happy about that, so I knew he was going to bounce as soon as that three-year deal was over. But getting Vince Carter that cheap was was uh was pretty legit. Um, Brandon Wright was a, you know, we might have fonder memories of him than people nationally around the league, but he was on the uptick, and we all I always knew he'd be traded for something because Rick just never trusted him to play that many minutes, and I guess time will tell if Brandon Wright's anything. But that roster with Brandon Haywood starting at center and then Lamar Odom not being able to uh, give you any minutes at, a uh, small forward or power forward, dude. That looks gross. Like it's a really bad roster. You know, a lot of
2: people forget that that team actually had a top ten defensive rating, which is mm-hmm. astounding. Um, yeah, they were actually better defensively by the numbers in the year after the title than they were in the in the title year. The problem was is that their offense went in the tank. And here's mm-hmm. where I think is another important aspect of this is we go through like the forks in the road. So. I'm not exactly sure that it excites anyone to become recent Atlanta West, but I Mm -hmm. think it's better than what they've been because it's not so much that – okay, so they obviously misjudged how important cap space was, but I think they also misjudged how attractive their market was because – Sure. Like, they may not be – I still think that it's one of the ten most attractive markets in the NBA. Mm -hmm. It's just that whenever there's only three big-name players on the market every offseason – Uh, and you know, one or two of them are going to stay with their own team. Uh, being the eighth most attractive market is no better than being 28th.
1: Yeah, Uh, no, they're, they're like the seventh, they're like the seventh best franchise. The problem is there's only four to five game changing players. Right.
2: So if the, if I were to say that I would, the one thing that I would have done different, and I definitely did not think this at the time would have been to, to start signing, uh, B level free agents on day one. Yeah. And if you, if you assemble enough of those dudes, let's say you get three of those dudes, it's Goran Dragic at the time, even Kyle Lowry, guys who pretty much ended up turning into max players. Yeah. If you would have been able to sign those guys at that time, given the way that the cap increase, So basically, I think if they would have known that the cap increase was happening, even if it was going to happen five years later, I think they either would have kept Tyson or they would have started signing an assortment of more middle... You know, B level, not like you know backups, but B level Mm -hmm. starting players right away. Yeah. Um, Because the thing that I—it's always driven me insane that no one brings up whenever this argument uh, surfaces—is the reason they didn't want to bring Tyson back is not because they didn't want to pay the luxury tax. The Mavericks had paid more luxury tax than anybody this side of the Knicks before Mm -hmm. that title year. It had nothing to do with not paying the tax. It had to do, in my opinion, anyways, with the the limitations that being in the tax puts on you. So, for example, the next year, uh, Kid and Terry were both free. Yep. So, if you had signed Tyson, you would have been so far over the cap already that you would have had a choice to make regarding your backcourt. Mm-hmm. You could have either re signed those guys using their bird rights uh, and paid a guy who was, you know, retired one year later in Kid and Terry, who's basically retired. Uh, and hasn't been a starter since really that that year after the title, you would have been in a situation where you could either bring them back Mm -hmm. or you would have nothing but exceptions to replace your starting backcourt. And people talk about how bad O.J. Mayo and Darren Collison were because they were. O.J. Mayo and Darren Collison made about five times the amount of money that you would have had to replace both Kid and Terry if Chandler was here. So if you bring back Chandler, you're starting a backcourt that is still Mike James – And it's Mm -hmm. still some – it probably would have been Mike James, Jason Terry with Sean Marion, Tyson Chandler, and Dirk. And your bench ain't exactly scintillating (laughs) at that point either because Beret is gone. Um, You've dicked around all your picks, which is a whole other aspect of this. But the team that Chandler would have been coming back to after that one year of a four-year deal would not have been anything close to the title team.
1: Yeah. And a team that basically built a title contender – off of uh B level balanced players, two-way players, uh very very smart role players. Like they were the balance of that championship team is, was the difference. All of a sudden you want to take like the shortcut? You want to take the way out and do like superstar hunting? Like I never got that. Like this is what you're good at. Right. You're you're good at finding dudes that can, you know, might not be um, you know, all-star caliber or even uh, you know, third team NBA or anything like that but can do what fits here because you have Dirk and you have that cheat code and now you're trying to take the, the lazy way out and just have somebody come in and fix your roster management for you. Yeah, um, I guess we can move to twelve thirteen. That was the Darren Williams um, pursuit offseason of uh, 2012 when he uh, tweeted the new Brooklyn Nets logo on July 4th and broke everyone's heart because, hey, he's going to he's gonna come home, right? Like, that's what players do. Um, that was Elton Brand year. That was Darren Collison year. That was O.J. Mayo, Chris Kamen. One of the weirdest years in Mavericks history, not even close. Yeah. And they drafted Jay Crowder, which is a solid pick. This is when they moved back in the draft. Um, I think they ended up taking – did they take Olenek or one of the Zellers uh, initially and then moved back for like – three second-round picks, took Sarge, took Crowder. Um, and this is the Dirk Hurt year. Yeah. This is whenever he he tore something in his knee really early on. I still think he did it before they went on their little world tour to Germany, and he was like, okay, we did this whole entire thing for me. Like, I'm not going to not play. Yeah. Um, and he comes back, and he has to have knee surgery. And uh, let me see how many games he played that season. It is, there he is, uh, started 47 of 82, uh, played in 53. This is the stupid-ass beard season Mm -hmm. when they were trying to get back to 500. This is the most maddening Mavericks season of my life. Yeah. (laughs) Because your superstar is hurt. Uh, He's going to miss 30-plus games. Your roster is garbage. A bunch of one-year deals for Elton Bray and Darren Collison, Mayo, Kamen, dudes that aren't difference makers. You don't give Crowder any real minutes. Uh, You wash him out. You get Mike James in here to get you back to a 500 record, where if you just take the L and you sit Dirk longer than he needs to, you know, be perfectly healthy, play 40 games, you get a top 10 pick. Um, I mean, not say they would use it correctly, because I think they ended up using it on the – they moved back from, I think it was 13 or something, to 17. To six, yeah. To, yeah, to 16. Um, and to save a little bit of money that next offseason for Dwight Howard and ended up taking Shane Larkin because they were so obsessed with a point guard. we got to fix this point guard position. But if you had if you had done, just pull a Spurs. Mm-hmm. Like, whenever David Robinson's hurt, you tank and you go get Tim Duncan. That's the one case in which I'm okay with it.
2: Uh, yeah. Once the year's already started, if, if, if you know Dirk's going to be dealing with that, that's that's the play for me right there. In fact, though, uh, what I would have rather done as we go through this uh, this list that year, obviously D-Will ended up being a huge bust for the money. Yep. But dude, I'm just going to rattle off some names to you that would have been major difference makers by this point if the Mavericks had been interested in making a play for them at that time. Uh, you got both Lopez's, who were wow. both free and I think restricted, but still, uh, if you were aggressive about it. Danny Green,
0: Gerald mm-hmm. Green
2: uh let's see um Jeff Green I'm pretty uninterested in that but uh George Hill was available yep. uh Nick Batum was available Goran Dragic was unrestricted Urson Ilyasova was unrestricted uh you, you know Ryan Anderson is rep is uh, basically a copy B version of Dirk but mm-hmm. that that's like five guys right there even Chauncey Billups who was old at the time Like, I think those are dudes that you could have gotten pretty quickly had you not been waiting on Darren Williams. And that was just, like, the first of many times they'd done that. And, you know, I think they they thought the year before that, you know, there are people with the Mavericks organization that swear to you that they had everything in place for Chris Paul and Dwight Howard to come here. Mm -hmm. Um, And that Dwight Howard, by opting into his deal the year before and not becoming free, like, screwed it all up. That CP3 actually wanted to come here. Uh, I guess that's right after the the Lakers trade is nixed and uh, that Dwight blew that whole thing up. But after that, the inability to pivot to some of these younger players who are now starters and really better than what the Mavericks have at, at their positions now, four years ago, those dudes would have been free this recent off season, except you would have had their bird rights and you would have been experiencing a massive cap spike. They could have mm. kept Goran Dragic and George Hill on this roster and that would be a pretty significant upgrade, I would say, heading into this off season or heading into this next season, as a pair, compared to what they have.
1: Yeah. And this is the off season where they started a lot of their bad habits. Um, that sitting out first week of free agency, waiting on someone to make a decision. Oh. Uh-huh. Um, that's that's unforgivable to me. Um, and this roster that they threw together and uh, tried to convince us that that was something, uh, you know, worth competing with, like. I'll never forgive them for this season. Like, that's how it works. 2012, 2013, I can't, like, every time I look backwards in Mavericks history, this is the one that I, that yeah. I cannot possibly forgive you for, for um, so many reasons. I mean, benching Collison for Mike James eventually, um, overusing Kamen, uh, just letting Kamen just try and cook at the beginning of every game. O.J. Mayo, you know what O.J. Mayo is, dude. I mean, come on. And then not tanking whenever Dirk misses thirty games and then getting back to five hundred. Why not why not?
2: So like, my thing on the the you know not fielding your best lineup and losing games is I think it does damage your culture. But if you've mm-hmm. got a bunch of dudes who are only here for one year, there's They're never one a better year. time to do it. Like if you had a bunch of young players on the team that were on four or three, four, five year deals, whatever, that you know are mm-hmm. gonna be here for a long time and you want them to get used to the idea of you're the Mavericks, you win consistently year in, year out, and Dirk is on the floor, then I'm, on, I'm not on board. But if he's not going to be playing, and I've got a bunch of you know, dudes that I know are not going to be back here next year, there's really no incentive not to at that point.
1: No, it's set up perfectly for you. To wipe your hands of it and say next year, the whole new year. Like, there's nothing that is, that is lingering from the previous season onto you. Except for if you get a higher pick, you get in the top ten, you take someone like C.J. McCollum. <laughs> I mean, that's how you change it. Uh, and they chose not to. They chose a uh, 500 record, which, you know, hang a freaking banner over that. Um, I guess we can move on to the 13-14 season, which got pretty weird in itself. Uh, that was the second Dwight offseason. Um, where they're waiting on him, where he eventually signs with the, uh, the Rockets. Um, and that's Jose Calderon. That's Monte. That's, uh, Sam Dallenbear. Back when they were, back when they were shifting, uh, 60% of their starting lineup every year instead of 40. Right. (laughs) Um, it looks like we've got, uh, Vince Carter, the last year of his deal. Um, second year, Jay Crowder, uh, Ricky Leto, the promise of Ricky Leto was there (laughs) and, um, Marion, I think that's Marion's last season. And then uh, Brandon Wright is still on the roster. This was fine. Like, they got Monte out of this this season, which was a, uh, a plus, which is actually a, a complete accident. Um, and having Monte going into the next season was such a coup for them, especially at that number. Um, but this is, like, the most blasé lineup. Uh, you can't talk me into this contending in any way. And we figured out how quickly um, – you know, Jose Calderon uh wasn't sustainable here. But, you know, and for the second year in a row, everybody was like trying to give them golf claps for actually fielding a roster. Yeah. <laughs> After someone left him at the altar in Dwight Howard for the second time. I don't have a ton to say about this season besides it, it sucked. I knew their I knew their inefficiencies and they came true. Um
2: probably the most a uh, fortunate thing is what they ended up not doing, which is not signing Andrew Bynum. Because yeah, I, true. at the time, was desperate enough to where I would have been on board with that. And mm-hmm. there's definitely audio out there of me saying, you know, what's wrong with Andrew Bynum? Um, <laughs> right, a lot. The fact that he's clearly had degenerative knees, he also didn't really seem to care about basketball. Uh, but there were a number of other uh, dudes who were free at that time that, again, in retrospect, could have been very helpful for you. Guys like Kyle Korver. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even McBob, Al Jefferson, due who are, again, these are the type of guys I'm talking about. Right. We're not going to be in the top. Paul Millsap was free that year. I would have 100%. Paul Millsap signed for two years and $19 million with the Hawks.
1: That's nuts. At
2: 28 years old.
1: He got, and, he got a Monte deal. Yeah, but he he's did. he's so much, he's so much better than Monte.
2: And he, again, this is where, and you know what we should probably do is we should probably make this a two day deal. Because I, st- I have so much more to say about this and really... Um, one of the things that is interesting as you go through these free agent lists and you go through, uh, you know, the team they've put around Dirk in the last five years, it's certainly not his fault. I would never couch it as a fault or a blame, but there is something to having a player who, I mean, first of all, you you can't, you're not going to sign David West whenever you have Dirk. Right. Or could you? <laughs> yeah like that's what I've always kind of thought like I mean Paul Millsap and Dirk are not a good fit together, but if he's gonna be two for nineteen million dollars, man I just feel like I could find a way like I could find yeah. a way if I can find a way to play two point guards, let me find a way to play two bigs yeah. sta stagger the minutes, two bigs who maybe don't really defend all that well, but stagger the minutes so that you know there's there's a way to pull it off and and i so I guess like what I'm saying is as great as Dirk is. There is something about there always has been something about his style of play and his game that mm-hmm. makes it a little bit more difficult to build around than a traditional superstar and and a traditional superstar big. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, his deficiencies are so deficient. Like <laughs> um of what he can't do, um it's he's just a polarizing skill set. And that's what it is, and it's hard to work around that. Like he is he is a uh, he's a panacea for your offense. But there's so many other things that go into basketball than just, you know, uh, getting good looks up. And if you can, you know, talk yourself into a backcourt of Jose Calderon and Monte Ellis, then you can you can talk yourself into Paul Millsap and Dirk Nowitzki. Yeah. Like, I don't see any difference. <laughs> like, it, what do you... You may
2: still, like, have... To, you might not play them together their entire game, you know? Yeah. I get that. But they... <laughs> If you're going – and this is where we should probably carry it over. If you're going to uh, decide that Mm -hmm. you are going to play the free agency hunting game, but you're not in Miami, New York, or L.A., then you're going to have to get creative. And I feel like Monte might have been a little bit of a step in that direction, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. I mean, there's just a number of different uh, guys as you look at these lists that you think – Man, I don't know. They'd be in such a better spot right now if they had not been waiting on Dwight Howard, Chris Paul, yep. Darren Williams, and and just stacked up some of these dudes. Now they probably wouldn't have been a contender, but they would have been more attractive to other to you know other free agents. It's sort of mm-hmm. a a self fulfilling prophecy, uh, prophecy in that regard, like it replicates itself. Right. And at the same time, you're probably a little bit better. So you're yeah. maybe five to ten wins better every year, mm-hmm. while also being. Uh, a team that is probably more attractive to other pending free agents.
1: Yeah. It's, it's actual team building versus throwing yourself at the feet of a free agent. That's what it is, man. Yeah. And one takes a lot of work and takes a big scouting department and a <laughs> lot of patience and discipline, and the other doesn't. And if you can still win 45 games a year and uh, you can still sell out – and you're still riding high off of the uh, giant bong rip that was 2011, then, you know, there's no negative repercussion for them. That's what's so funny to me. Like, I can bitch about it all day, but there's no negative repercussion for them. Like, the check's still clear. So I guess we can carry over some of that 13-14 stuff. We'll talk about 14-15, the Rondo year, the Parsons uh, freshman year. Uh, DeAndre. Uh, 15, 16, oh, 15-16. On second time, uh, let's just not. <laughs> let's just not do any oh. of that. And then uh, and then signing Wes Matthews. Um, Jake, thank you for your time. Yes, sir. All right, we're going to uh, hear from Doug Branson of Locked on Hornets. He has a little light preview for you about what the uh, Hornets are up to before tonight's preseason home opener for the Mavericks. All right, thanks for listening to Locked on Mavericks.
0: The two big storylines for the Charlotte Hornets heading out of training camp and into this first preseason matchup with Dallas. Number one, injuries. And number two, the starting center position. Who will fill it? Roy Hibbert or Cody Zeller. First on the injury front, starting, uh, starting point guard, Kimball Walker. Limited all throughout training camp. Just got cleared for contact. In the last day of training camp, he's dealing with uh, the ramifications of off-season knee surgery to repair a torn meniscus in his left knee, that same left knee that gave him trouble and caused him to miss time at the beginning of 2015. Uh, I doubt you'll see any of Kemba Walker in this first matchup, maybe even in the first few preseason matchups for the Charlotte Hornets. And then Cody Zeller has still not been cleared for contact, so definitely won't see any of Cody Zeller, who is fighting. For uh, his starting position that he held uh, during different portions of last season, kind of traded back and forth with Al Jefferson. Now Jefferson gone, but you insert Roy Hibbert, who signed in the offseason with Charlotte, provides a defensive presence a rim protection presence that the Charlotte Hornets did not have all of last season at the center position. So they're battling uh, a little training camp battle, a little preseason battle developing between Roy Hibbert and Cody Zeller. Right now, Roy Hibbert has the upper hand because he's healthy, ready to go. Hornets fans will be looking at Roy Hibbert and how he plays with the starters, at least early on in the preseason. And then also something to watch, Michael kidd Gilchrist returning from a second torn labrum in his shoulder. And he played seven games last season, played fantastically, shot over 50% from the field, shot over 43% from beyond the arc in in those seven games. Small sample size, but word out of camp is that his three-point shooting looks better than ever. Hornets fans will be looking at MKG, seeing if he looks confident from beyond the arc, and he's always confident on defense, always fun to watch on that end of the floor. From Charlotte, Doug Branson, Locked on Hornets.